Not a matter of if, but when a crisis could turn your life upside down. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real-world crisis or multidimensional controversy. My Crisis Squad and I are here to find solutions. We also take you to where the crisis is and introduce you to real people who found themselves in untenable positions. In all cases, our suggestions are meant to help you handle your own crisis or prevent crises from happening. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek out professionals to help your specific need. Today, film critic and entertainment reporter Paul McGuire Grimes dives into a multi-layered topic with me. He's used to happy endings in some films he reviews on TV and on his website, Paul's Trip to the Movies, but no such ending was guaranteed when Paul and his husband Ryan made the decision to adopt a child. We're here to discuss the case file I call, Is Adoption Under Threat? Paul, fill us in on your story. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so my husband and I, early on in our relationship, we decided that we wanted to be dads. We wanted to adopt and be a family and grow our family through adoption. So close to seven years ago, we started that process. We picked an agency and we thought, oh, this won't take very long. Birth moms will love us. We'll be matched with a birth mom very early on. So we started the process. Come to find out, it was far more time-consuming than we thought it was going to be. I think you go in thinking, oh, my God, we're going to be great dads. People are going to view our profile. They're going to want to match with us. Great. And that's kind of what, like, TV and movies now showcase this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you hear a celebrity go through the adoption process or surrogacy, and it feels like it happened overnight. And then us, we're like, oh, it took a lot longer than that for many reasons. You know, you go in thinking one thing, and it's going to be a lot longer, so the year started to pass on. More money went into it. It was such a, an eye-opening experience, too, of why people choose adoption. And there are many tracks that we had to think about. And by that, I mean, was it going to be infant adoption? Was it going to be international adoption? Was it going to be foster to adopt? There's also surrogacy. So you start to look into what was going to be best for our family, what was going to be best as first-time parents. So we chose an agency, Children's Home Society, Lutheran Social Services. We decided on their infant track which is basically newborns or up to like a certain year point. And then we thought, great, this isn't going to take very long. And we went through the application process. We went through the education process. There's a timeline to a lot of this And they're digging into your personal lives, right? Yeah, you have to apply. And they only allow so many families to go through the process at any given time. So we were very much on their timeline for part of it, which then helps to birth moms, like if they're going to try to find an adoptive family, not to be so overwhelmed. And then we had to decide, too, how much of our personal lives were we going to put out there? on the internet for a birth mom to decide. There's like a binder of profiles. And we had to put all of our history, all of what our family looks like in about six pages so that a birth mom could find that. So that's like a literal binder. And then there's also a profile on their website that's kind of taking some of that and putting it on their website. And then we had to decide, too, how much outreach would we do? Are we going to have a website? Are we going to have a Facebook profile, social media, business card? This is a big production ball. It's And I don't think people kind of understand that because you are essentially, in a, a way of thinking about it, it's kind of marketing yourself to be a parent. Yeah, which is so much longer, it sounds like, than that traditional nine-month pregnancy. Absolutely. So we had to kind of figure out and navigate what that was going to look like over the years. We used a couple of different websites. It, it was taking so long. 
So we thought, what is happening? Like, why is it taking so long? Is there something we're doing wrong? Is there something additional that we could be doing? You then start to get very self-reflective on why are we not getting, we're great people. Why yes, are we are. not? Why are we not getting picked? You go through that mental health space. People ask you questions. Well, are you not doing this? Or have you thought of that? Have you tried this? I can guarantee you, we thought of everything. If you knew Ryan and I, we think of everything. You are we very thorough men. We are men. very thorough men. We're very methodical. We're very educated. And that's not to sound hoity-toity, but we think things logically through. People thought, well, have you tried international? Well, we purposely didn't go that route because it's way more expensive. There are a lot of international countries that don't allow same-sex adoption. It's a different ballgame. And then people are like, oh, have you thought of surrogacy? Yes. But again... That's a completely different track. It comes with its own expenses. And none of these are guaranteed. I think people think of like surrogacy as like a guaranteed thing. And that isn't right. the case. It's not like this buffet. Like, oh, one doesn't work. You go do the other. Oh, right, right, right. You sort of have to commit, it sounds yeah. like. And we did open up to, first we were zero to three months. If a birth mom had made that choice after three months, then we opened up to zero to six. Then we expanded that window throughout our journey. Getting picked by a birth mom at some point throughout her pregnancy. There was also the route which is called getting a hospital call, which basically means you could hear from your social worker at any given point saying, birth mom gave birth at the hospital. Do you want to be their parents? With zero warning. So that's a situation where birth mom maybe didn't even select, pre-select you. Correct. They're just in that zone. They say, hey, I'm putting this child, giving this placing child, the child placing for abortion. the child yes. for yep. adoption. I say that because we learned a lot about inclusive language throughout this journey and why other families get to this point. It, it was a very educational journey for us, really eye-opening, that I think people, unless you're in it, don't really think about. So then we got the hospital call. We were having a random Wednesday night. We ordered Chipotle for our Wednesday takeout night, and we get a call from our social worker As soon as Ryan picked up the phone and we heard it was our social worker, we were like, oh, my God, this is happening. Like, I just knew that this was it. Birth mom gave birth. Would you like to be her dad's? And we had to submit some information. I'm trying to keep this as vague as possible to protect some of our daughter's history, her birth mom's history. So we said yes. The next day, we went and met her at the hospital and brought her home. Wow. Overnight. So like after the seven-year process, yes. this was the night. This was the night. I'll so, bet you'll never look at Chipotle again in the same way. <laughs> I already had feelings about Chipotle before that night, and then this happened. And we have since gotten Chipotle. Thank you to the Chipotle people. And people are like, oh my God, you literally decided that that happened overnight. Because a lot of families have nine months going into getting ready for to be parents. But in a way, you had all these years, We right? did. So like we were in a mental space to allow for that. But what we didn't have was the stuff. We didn't have a nursery that was ready. We oh, didn't have yeah. the diapers the and practical. the practical stuff. So literally, we brought our daughter home from the hospital. Ryan went to Target and bought all the stuff. Literally, supermarket sweeped the whole thing. If you've seen that show, that's it's yes. funny if you think about yes. uh, Putting things in the cart. And then we have been in love and have been so blessed with our daughter since then. And she's incredible. They always say it will happen at the right time. And it's really hard to remember that until it actually happens. It's so true. And then it does. And I have to say that she was born right on time. That's so beautiful. I'm going to get emotional. Here's the thing. I've seen pictures of her on your holiday card. So her special, I guess, (laughs) announcement announcement card. Let's get into, though, the challenge of the wait is one challenge. 
And then it sounds like, from what you're saying to me, maybe a challenge because both of you are in a same-sex relationship. I cannot even begin to imagine some of the discrimination you've faced, Paul. Yes. We didn't necessarily face it directly, like, throughout this journey per se, that we know of. Now, that doesn't mean that a birth mom could have looked at our profile, saw that we were a same-sex married couple, and said, nope, I want a, a husband and a wife. We don't necessarily know any You don't that. know, and it's okay you don't know. Right. There is the larger picture of actual legal rights that are happening. Like, our marriage only came because of a Supreme Court case. We were set to be married in Iowa because it was legal in Iowa at the time. Then it was passed nationally through the Supreme Court. So we've had a few really great years where it was nationally legally recognized. However, that is now under threat. What then does that mean for us as a family? If, for instance, the case were to be overturned by the Supreme Court, and there's a lot of people out there that think, oh, that's never going to happen. It's settled law. And I want to say to these people, you clearly don't know how the Supreme Court works. You know, again, I'll say this as a licensed attorney, someone who's studied case law, Cases get overturned by the Supreme Court all the time. But I also want people to realize it doesn't happen willy-nilly, so to speak. Right. There's a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into it. It should not matter what we may perceive or believe to be political persuasions of any of these justices. Mm-hmm. Because, again, if they decide to overturn anything, mm-hmm. their decision will be judged by the ages. So they are not easily overturning precedent. But precedent has been overturned. So it's not something we can ignore. Right. No. People thought Roe v. Wade was settled law for 50 years. And then that got overturned by what is largely a conservative Supreme Court right now. And part of Clarence Thomas's opinions as part of that. So he talked about wanting to overturn Obergefell versus Hodges, which is what legalized same-sex marriage. And there was a couple of others in there. And we were actually on vacation when that happened. And we thought oh, okay, so now what does that mean? It's really hard to then go on vacation and think, I'm going to put life aside for a little bit, just enjoy the beach. Well, that's what vacation's supposed to be about. Yes, it should be until a Supreme Court case comes along that could potentially in the future overturn your marriage potentially. What does that look like for us? What does that look like for our daughter if our legal marriage is now separated? Right, so lots of things that you're thinking about that perhaps I, as a heterosexual female, Mm -hmm. might not need to think about. So that in itself seems wrong and discriminatory to me. The other piece of this, and when I've talked with members of the crisis squad about the law, Mm -hmm. I always remind people, both parties are guilty of Mm -hmm. trying to blow up certain narratives to their own messaging. So what I want to say to that is, in the Roe v. Wade case, the Congress of the United States had Mm -hmm. 50-plus years to codify the right to abortion. They did not. They did not. So now what happened with Dobbs is now all the states are making their decisions. So when we look at same-sex marriage, what I first want us to look at is what does each state say? Correct. Because that's going to, in many ways, take some sort of precedent. So if the state legislature tours and legislatures can make sure it's protected in each state, then it is less of a danger no matter what the Supreme Court does. So I just want people to remember that. And we as citizens have the power to reach out to our own state legislators. Mm -hmm. So that's what I hope people will will do as an action item. And remember to vote. Remember to vote. Like, oh my goodness. At the end of the day, you have to vote. What also gets hard, too, is hearing when these issues get brought up 
there's been questions, especially after the Supreme Court case. You have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene calling same-sex parents as fake. Which is fake just dad, crazy fake mom. to me. It's offensive and disgusting. And she said this on her MTG Live. I, I was watching the clips. And you may think, she's Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is an extremist. Not everyone views that opinion. That is true. However, she keeps getting voted for. That language and that rhetoric is out there. And it continues to spread. You have people like Governor DeSantis in Florida having these don't say gay bills with kids basically can't even talk about being gay or having those thoughts or having gay parents in the school place. That may be happening in Florida, Texas. But what happens if you get a governor in Minnesota where we live that has those same opinions? What does that mean for our daughter going to school if that would happen when she is school age and there's some sort of don't say gay bill? So that's things that we have to think about, talk about. How do we have those conversations with family, friends, network when they are voting to to think about those people that they're voting on and what are their beliefs there? And does that go along with what you say and whatnot? And coupled with that, Paul, I really want people to go back to those basic civics lessons. I don't know if they're just not being taught or not being taught as early and as aggressively as when I was in grade school and high school. But if each of us as mm-hmm. American citizens understood what is in the Constitution of the United States, in the state constitutions, and really understood what our rights are, as well as our rights to protest, to free speech, to put our opinions out there. So Mm -hmm. those are the things. And maybe it's things like this. I mean, I myself live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I remember, I believe it was 08, when same-sex marriage became law in the Mm -hmm. state. And the very vigorous campaigns from both sides of that issue. And I remember friends who, you know, were waiting Do we leave the state to get married? I was at one of those weddings in the middle of the night because the courts opened up and said, we're going to just keep marrying people as soon as this goes into law. And two of my women friends were married in one of those ceremonies. Yes. That was an emotional time. Even when you're straight, that was an emotional time to watch. So regardless of what your politics are or your personal feelings, that's the beauty of our country is You can be gay, you can be straight, you can be cisgender, you can be transgender. We all have rights in the United States. Mm -hmm. That is what I hope we as a collective continue to protect. I would hope so. And I would hope that people remember that going in. And if you think, I don't know anyone in that situation, use me as the example. Think about that going in. How is my friend's marriage or family affected by this person that I'm voting for or whatever the issue may be? I think we sometimes kind of forget that very personal angle. And why should my marriage or my family be on the line with this policy, that policy, that Supreme Court case, that decision over and over and over again? Why is it not just commonplace? And the fact is, there are so many kids out there who need loving homes. And you and Ryan are providing this baby girl who's going to grow up into an amazing woman a loving home. And that's what we should all be really excited about and try to protect and the reality check. So are you sort of recommending that when people go to the voting booth, they're like, who would Paul vote for? Do you I, want them to I, ask I, sure, that question yes. if you're like, in the booth? What would Paul do in the voting booth? I mean, sure. We, I don't agree on every issue with every person. Who does? But if I am a voice of someone that you know or care about or think about, oh, I know someone who would be affected by this, or I've heard about that issue somewhere else, it may happen here. So let's protect it in advance. You know, I want to bring up Arizona Governor Doug Ducey has signed anti-LGBTQ plus laws regarding adoption and foster care, allowing 
adoption agencies to discriminate against same-sex couples. So why are we voting for these people? Why are we allowing discrimination to happen at a very basic human level? And those kinds of things hopefully do not become law. And hopefully that's why the courts are there to knock something like that down, even if it were to become law. Let's talk about a couple Maybe solutions, reminders. One of them, it sounds like you needed a lot of patience, you and Ryan, (laughs) in this process. And my guess, I'm just, I don't know, but my guess is it maybe taxed even your relationship going through this. You know, I will say that it's taxed, well, I mean, in a way, sure, because I think we both wanted it to happen earlier. It then tests where you are both at as a couple. Do we have the time to go for baby number two down the road? What does that look like now? Because there was so much money put into this, you know, like that does test us individually and as a couple. So how did we communicate about that too? And we weren't always on the same page about that. Like most couples in any situation, you may not always be on the same page at all time, but how do you communicate about what that patience is, what the other person needs to get on the same page? And research is what I hear here. Absolutely. You have to research what is best for you and your family in terms of whether it's infant adoption, foster to adopt, surrogacy, international. What is best for you and your own resources, your own network? What will be the best for your own family? Know that going in because that helps put a lot of other things into perspective and also helps you guide the conversations with other people along the way. So true. Well, this has been a very special case file in getting into a topic that's so personal to Paul, but really can teach all of us a lot of lessons about family, about parenting, about love, about community, about the law. And don't be afraid to ask. I think that has been educational for people is really understanding going in everything that we learned along the way. And if you're unsure about a law or a policy or something like that, ask someone. Don't just assume you've heard something or you don't quite get it. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. Love it. Thanks to film critic and dad, Paul McGuire Grimes, for sharing his insight. Today's Crisis Brief brought to you by Spoke 612 Productions. Number one, patience is key. There is a process that could take years. Be realistic about your timeline. Number two, educate yourself about different options for adoption. Get expert advice to determine what works best for your family. And number three, pay attention to laws and the conversation at large. What happens at the state and federal level could have big implications for your family and your plans to adopt. Reach out to your federal and state elected representatives to let them know how you feel. Spoke 612 Productions takes your ideas and brings them to life. Linda, Sarah, and Matt are committed to excellence and inclusivity. As a WeBank certified women-owned production company, Spoke 612 inspires awareness and delivers impact through storytelling. When you put your project in their hands, Spoke 612 draws on their own talents and experience to ensure they tell the best possible version of your story. Visit their portfolio at Spoke612.com. Thank you to podcast co-producer Tom Hamilton of Undertone Music and assistant producer Kim Inslee. Want us to weigh in on your crisis? Email me, rashini at rashinigroup.com. That's R-O-S-H-I-N-I at rashinigroup.com. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files. Crisis Files.